Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Achten Millwall. Listening to Acton Millwall Emergency Broadcasting Special, a public service broadcast made on behalf of the Real Millwall Fan Show and Acton Millwall, broadcasting from South Bermondsey. Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. Welcome to another very special edition of Acton Millwall, the Millwall Diaries. Call it what you want. It's the uh, the Acton Millwall Coronavirus Special, and um, we bring you. One of Mill's finest, one of Mill's finest goal scorers, Anthony Guy Cascarino joins us this afternoon. That's right, I use his full name because we're going to be delving into his career. Believe me, we are. Uh, joining me first on the panel, it is, of course, the podfather himself, Mr. Nick Cart. How are you, pal? I'm good. I'm good. Welcome to the show, listeners. I'm genuinely excited to be speaking to Cass. It's, it's um, one of the highlights of doing this podcast for me today. Nick, Nick has been up since half past five. He's drank 52 <laughs> cups of tea. Yeah. He's had 52 cups of tea. He's came the house of biscuits. He's that excited. He texted me this morning. He's that excited. Uh, so without further ado, <laughs> let's let's welcome Tony Cascarina on to Acton Mill, one of Mill's finest goal scorers. Tony, how are you? Hi, you Aaron. How are you, Nick? You good? We're good, mate. Yeah. How are you, Tony, these days? Yes. Um, like everyone else, just sort of in the trap of enjoying going to the, the shop of that's my daily outing. And <laughs> it's you know, it's weird, it's extraordinary that something is crazy as this is what's happened has stopped us to in a halt hasn't it it's literally yeah totally into lockdown of extreme measures but um you know we're all discovering new ways of communication now even <laughs> zoom getting my missus in to help me and oh well but i'm here and I'm, I'm happy to chat about anything to do with Millwall. so that's great boys Great to have you, mate. Great to have you. Um, I mean, for me, I mean, as I said, I was, I was genuinely excited to talk to you, Tony, because um, for me, uh, that late 80s team, 87 to, shall we say, about 89-ish, was probably, for me, the pinnacle, absolute pinnacle of following the Lions. I mean, that was that was an incredible achievement. And for me, 88 particularly, that year, 1988, was a golden year. How was it, how, how was it from your playing perspective I and mean, would you would you was it one of the highlights of your career as a, as a, as a player oh absolutely um I've got very fond memories of Millwall um not only just playing there but 
you know, I used to follow Millwall. I say used to follow because my real love was Liverpool, as in the club I followed. But my London club was always Millwall. My dad was from the Elephant. Um, used to go to games in the 70s with some great players, Trevor Lee, Phil Walker, Barry Kitchener, Dave Donaldson, yeah. you know, some real great old faces at, at the club. And um, I, I, I always had an affinity. That's why I joined Millwall, because um, when I left Gillingham and I, was, I, I spoke to three clubs, I spoke to Ipswich, I spoke to Leeds and I spoke to Millwall. And arguably the other two were bigger clubs, as in stature at that yeah, time. Yeah, I'd agree. And yeah. I... I, I chose to go, I, I decided to go to Millwall. Um, I, it was a lot more than just that, but it was a club that just, my first meeting with John Doherty was very productive. Um, I really liked, and I don't want to sound smart boys after the event, but I really liked Teddy Sheringham. I'd watched him the previous season and, and thought, you know, him and Malcolm Marks, uh, Michael Marks. Michael Marks, played, yep, yep. Yeah, Michael Marks played really well together. Um, and I could see a lot of things I liked about Teddy. And when I first saw the doc, he, he said to me, he said, I really want to try and match you alongside Sheringham and get you in the team. And, uh, and I think the two of you will do really well. And a lot of people would have looked at us too and thought, well, maybe that's a bit of a mismatch in some ways. Uh, we might, you know, get in each other's space. But we didn't. I, I was a lot better runner over distance than Teddy. I could do long channel runs and get into space. Um, I was quite athletic um, and that that's what the doc saw in me and to be honest the doc got me a lot fitter than I had been at Gillingham for a number of seasons You were an established goal scorer at Gillingham though Tony I remember regularly seeing the name Cascarino because it would always stand out on the on the score sheets and you know I mean you, you had a good good length of time done over 200 appearances for the Gill so you must have been like the the, the main striker down there in that case yeah, um, I, it's the club I played the longest for, Gillingham, six yeah. years or six seasons. And in that time, I had, I had one bad injury. Um, I can remember, boys, I went on holiday. I had an injury at Gillingham. That I, I, I damaged my cruciate ligament, but I didn't snap it. So I, I could recover, but I needed about three to six months of getting right. And we, I did it in about, oh, it must have been about March time. So um, I couldn't play to the end of that season. Uh, and then I went on holiday and I weighed myself at Paddington Station on the return. And I was the same <laughs> weight as when Frank Bruno fought Tim Witherspoon. <laughs> I was the same weight as Frank Bruno. <laughs> um, it, it, it was just weird when I remember getting on the scales because at that time, Paddington, Paddington had that whole great scales, you know, them giant red ones. And, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. It, and I looked at my missus and I went, I'm, I'm 16 stone too. And I played at 14. Um, so it, there was lots of... Um, I needed to leave Gillingham. I, I, I got to the stage, my final season, I'd got 30 goals. And um, I, I let my contract, contract run down. And I just wanted a new challenge. I felt like I, I had a great time at Gillingham. But if I had to you know, try and progress as a player, I felt I had to challenge myself higher up. And that came via Millwall, which was, you know, establishing itself. And we did that. Because that was one of my questions I was going to ask. I mean, just looking at the, the your career at Gillingham, I, mean, I, I would have thought you'd have a sense of needing to move on now or never, because otherwise you could probably stay comfy at Gillingham and be, you know, a very, very decent striker at that level. But to move along, must clearly had the drive to want to improve. Yeah, I, I did. And I, I, needed, I needed my backside kicked. Um, I wasn't a... If you got me fit, I was an handful. If I yeah. got slightly unfit, I could look awkward, ungainly, a bit cumbersome. And I just needed someone. And John Doherty was perfect 
for me. He just looked, he, he said, he came to watch me at a game. Gillingham played Chesterfield, and I was told after the game that Millwall had come to watch me and they wanted to sign me after the game. Right. And I played the worst game I'd ever played as a professional footballer. <laughs> and I didn't want to go back in the car. I said, no, I'm not going back in the car. I was so, and when I first saw Doc, um, and said to him, Doc, why did you come? Why was you wanting to buy me after watching me at Chesterfield? He went, I don't know why. Don't ask me. Bob Pearson wanted you more than me. Bob. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> put, put you in your place, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, but they'd obviously watched me a lot over that season. And I'd, I'd like to say, I got 30 goals and played well. But, it, you know, when you have such a bad game like I did that night, I remember thinking, no, I don't want to talk. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to go in a car about leaving. I just just waited to the end of the season. Yeah, I mean that summertime when you arrived, you 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 came in the um, uh, the seat, the you know summertime nineteen eighty seven. I mean the, the yeah. doc had quite an eye for a player. I mean he was already piecing together the the basis of that promotion winning side the previous year. I know. I mean Herlock had arrived the previous yeah. season eighty six eighty seven and. Um, uh, Danny Salman, Jimmy Carter, also also Teddy. Kevin O'Callaghan was there, wasn't he? Yeah, and, and Teddy had made a full season's contribution, as you said earlier on. And then yourself arriving in the summertime, um, Jules Lawrence, Steve Wood, O'Callaghan. I mean, yeah. this, it, it, he had an eye, didn't he? I mean, that was a, that was a that was to prove to be a very successful blend, and and to see the potential of you and Teddy together, that was that was quite um, insightful by by John. Yeah, and what, what happened, the previous season, as you know, Nick, Millwall just about stayed up. Yeah. And there was a real directive from the boys upstairs. Reg Burr came in, uh, a city man. He wanted to invest in the club. Peter Mead, likewise. Jeff Burnage was there. So there was a lot of... Um, sort of uh, there was a, a forward-thinking club where they just knew that they were saving everything to have it real good, hard go at it in that season leading up, you know, t- uh, to 87, 88. Yeah. And they spent more than they'd ever spent. Yeah, they um, did. They paid more yeah. money than they ever did. They brought in a huge number of players. With the, I think the big thing is I can say is that we all clicked as a team as well, as friends. Although, you know, there was Rhino there, was Macca there, there was Les Briley there. We, they, we came in, Teddy was there. All these players that came in, we all gelled. We all liked each other. We all had a, a bit to prove. As players as well, you know, I had a challenge, you know, people just say, well, I was a lower division goal scorer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there was Terry Erlock who surprised us all because Terry was a way better player than, you know, people give him credit for. Callie had gone up and down. Jimmy Carter had to prove himself. Um, you know, there was just so many of us that had a challenge. And um, Stevie Wood came in for nothing from Reading. But, uh, you know, again, he... He had to prove that he was a player that could play at a high level. So it was we a lot of us stayed friends as well. I'm I'm, I'm close to them. But we we have a reunion every now and again, and um, it's always brilliant seeing the boys because it's like seeing your mates. It was like a Beano with Millwall at that time. <laughs> I was interesting you say about you know likes of Herlock being a better player. I mean we we often say it on this show, and I'll probably include you in it as well, Tony. We had a lot of players that probably weren't given the full credit because they were playing for Millwall. They come from um, less fashionable clubs. Gillingham's not a fashionable side, so they didn't get the kind of spotlight put on them. But I'd say that that ran through the the whole side, yourself included. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I'd say Les Briley could play a lot more. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, Keith Stevens was known as a bit of a tough nut in midfield, but Keith could play if he had to. Um, you know, and there was a number of players that 
you just know, you know, and and what happens is like Jimmy Carter moved off, uh, Te- Terry went on, uh, yeah. Teddy went, I went. You know, there was a number of us that moved on to elsewhere. Woody went to Southampton. So, you know, there was a lot of players that there. I'm, I, I don't know. There's something about underachievers that makes you, you gives you a drive and a, an aspiration to do even more. And we, we, we definitely had that in the dressing room, especially first season. We came in thinking, we, our style sometimes went against us because people thought we was quite a direct team where yeah. we mixed it up. We mixed it up very well. Doc liked to get it in because we had me and Teddy that could attack the ball. We had wingers like Callie, uh, like Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, George Lawrence. So we had a bit of everything when we were going forward. So Doc tried to utilise that. And we were good at that. That was our, our strength. And uh, I think we, you know, a bit like Sheffield United this season where they came in and although Sheffield United kept it going a bit longer than we did, we came in, we took the league quite early. Yes. We upset a few. And do you know what? We, we loved it. We loved proving everybody that we were far better than the team that just came up from the championship or the league two then. I mean, you had a 99-goal partnership with Teddy across those those seasons. Um, and I, like you, you've touched on already, the spirit of the squad was was strong. I know that, um, you know, you got along well with Teddy. Is, is that an important factor in, in, in for a striker? I, I mean, famously, Teddy did well with um, Andrew Cole at Manchester United later on, but it didn't, they didn't really get along so much. I mean, is it an important thing? Can you, in your, in your time tone, can you... Can you work with a bloke you don't necessarily like or just keep it professional? Does it help to be friends, do you think? Well, I'll give you, Nick, a bit of an insight about Teddy. Teddy challenges you. Now, you can either take it two ways. You can take it a little bit personal or you could think, yeah, I'm up for that. Because Teddy did that to me. When I came to the club, I was the record signing, 200,000. Teddy was a young lad, come through the system. And he made it quite clear early on that he wanted to be number one. Yeah. You know, and I don't mean it in a nasty way. I'm not because I'm good friends with Teddy. But he, he met he his his best way of getting the best out of you was to make you feel like he's got one up on you all the time. <laughs> and, and, and don't get don't get me wrong, it, I needed that. Yeah, so I'd never had that, Gillingham. I'd never had a striker that made me feel right. I'm going to get one more than you this season. I'm yeah. going to I'm going to you know he he's like that naturally, Teddy. So you know you said then Nick about playing partners if you was to ask the question which player could you name as had the most striking partners and been successful in every one you'd go for Ted all right across a, across a long career yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah. yeah if you go Klinsman at Tottenham if you go Ferdinand if you go Alan Shearer with England if you go um, Nigel Clough with Nottingham Forest if you go me at Millwall and you go me, uh, Teddy and whoever somewhere else you know he, he just was a joy to play with and you know we haven't even mentioned the Man United boys uh, Dwight York Oli Gunn Schultzgar Andy Cole but because Teddy could challenge you you could take it the wrong way and I, I suspect one or two strikers along the way, notably, as you mentioned, Andy Cole, yeah. might not have liked it so much because they were very established. But it was great having... Teddy always drove me with competition. He always made me feel... And to be fair, he won eight out of ten times. I, we joke because um, <laughs> on our WhatsApp group, uh, all the lads keep taking the mickey at me because Teddy was the first, you know, he got one goal more than me every He season. did, yeah, yeah. I was looking at yeah, that. you know, all, all things like that. And then I'd get a, a WhatsApp group, the oldest uh, scores to get a hat-trick in the top flights. And Teddy was, I came fifth in Europe, which I thought was unbelievable. I was the lo- oldest uh, league one in France. 
top goal scorer, <laughs> 37 years and 100 and odd days. So I look at the list, then I'll jump up two places, and there he is. Teddy Sheridan's got uh, 37 years and another few days older than me. So he's got me again. But he hasn't, got, he hasn't got me on the first player to score a goal at the top flight for his club, which is Millwall, which was yeah, me. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> along the way, we've had our, our battles. But it's always been healthy, and especially for me, because like I said, I've never had anybody challenge me like that, but made me want to be better, made me want to be a better player because of that challenge that he clearly didn't, he didn't hold it back. He, was, he, he knew that he was trying to drive you. That's how he works. What about the Ireland boys, Tony? What about Niall Quinn and John Aldridge? I mean, what was the difference between playing with them and playing with Teddy? Um, well, I mean, yeah, you've, you've made a great point because the Ireland team was very much like a, a club spirit. And, you know, we had... Aldo was a, a great lad. You go out... I mean, we, we, we did too much off the field. We'd go out drinking a bit too much in Dublin. And internationals was a bit like a... You know, a group, group of lads who were turning up in Ireland and going on the sauce and Jack wouldn't mind it, Jack Charlton, our manager. It was a really weird set of circumstances. But me and Quinny room with each other. So we would always joke about, I'll see you after an hour anyway, Quinny, because he would either come on the sub for me or I'll come on sub for him. So we was always, me and Quinny would always know that we were sort of split between who would play for the Ireland team. Aldo was brilliant because he was a natural goal scorer. Aldo wasn't particularly, and he wouldn't mind me saying this, John wasn't particularly quick. He wasn't great technically. He was not bad in the air. Um, but he was a brilliant one-touch finisher. If he saw the goals, John, he was a lower... To me, John was a, a lower division goal scorer, but an absolutely a Premier League player with, with finishing. He was a great finisher, uh, which that's, is an attribute, you know? That's an interesting way to put it, Tony. I, mean, I know what you mean. One thing that's... I read your book... When, when, when it came out, which was a few years ago now. Um, one thing that leapt out at me was talk, going back to Teddy for a moment um, and the, maybe the difference between you as a player and Teddy as a player is that you said Teddy had this kind of um, almost like ice, ice blood for, for taking chances and, and not letting what you called a little voice get inside his head, um, yeah. which was something that you, you, you mentioned rather plagued you as, as, as in your playing career. I mean, it's just an interesting... Um, I mean, some players can get past that and some can't. No, well, I, I see what happened to me. I, when I came in, I was a raw, young, naive kid when I first came into the game as a professional at 19 at Gillingham. So I, I was a bit fearless of everything. You know, right. I just attacked everything. I'd shot when I, I'd shoot when I could. And, you know, so I, but then I become established. And then you're like, you're, because of your experience, you end up trying to be a more complete player. Then I started to get a few doubts when I had an indifferent time. You know, and then you'd have the crowd rumbling on you. You weren't the young kid anymore that the local fans would be excited about seeing. You now were an established player that needed to be given a bit of a kick up the backside by the fans. So when I went through my first bad phase, really, was when I sort of got to... I'm not really Aston Villa. It was more when I got to Celtic, because I'd done okay at Villa. I actually yeah. really but it was when I got to Celtic and I played poorly. I wasn't in my greatest physical condition. And everything in my game felt hard. You know, even the simple things, controlling the ball. I was mistiming headers. I was about eight pounds over than what I should have been playing at. And I remember thinking, I got chances and I chunked a few wider. And I remember thinking to myself, how, 
I felt very anxious about right. the chances coming to me. And the only way I could describe it, Nick, was what I said in the book, was that I felt like I'd got the yips in front of goal. You know, like you see golfers and they get the yips and they just, yeah. they can't, that five-foot putt feels like a 20-foot putt. You know, I felt like that about chances. And I started to miss a lot, lost my confidence. And, and incredibly, I, I was in an island one year and after I'd done my book, I was, and this is years later, I, I was on a t- TV show in Ireland and Sonia Sullivan was there, the great runner, the Irish runner. She was a, and she, she came on the show and she said that she had this incredible uh, thing that affected her when she was running, that when she was lying in second, she was running great, but anytime she took the lead up, her mind would just go uh, going a million miles an hour and she'd get so negative about taking the lead. Uh, right. You know, is the girl behind going to catch me? Is she going to come past me? And she said she just literally, a uh, muscle was freed up. And it was really weird because that, when I did that in the book and spoke about it, I had so many sportsmen come on to me and said, been there, been like that. You know, a b- boxer, afraid, afraid to throw a punch or, or, or to, you know, just so many different sportsmen had written to me and said, that what I said in the book, they was afraid to say. And I, and I was only speaking for actually the first time in my career of being anxious and lacking real self-belief in what I was doing. You are listening to Achten Millwall. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I was one of the great advances. I was watching some of the YouTube clips before we came on the um, the meeting today, Tony, and obviously football's changed in many ways. I mean, I was looking at some of the old pitches that you played on and the, the facilities, but also what you're touching on there, which is the kind of um, what you might call the, the, the mental side of the game, mental health, whatever way you want to put it. I mean, it, the game is... is has at least recognised that there are issues now that, that it needs to think about. I mean, back in your time, I dare say there's very little of that kind of support or assistance. Yeah, well, like all things, Nick, it was very much roll your sleeve up, get up, get get on with it, uh, deal with it. That's the attitude. Now, yeah. I sort of, I sort of get that because if you had a team, Nick, and you had ten players feeling like that, you'd be losing every match, wouldn't you? So you, yes, 
<laughs> some people some people can deal with it. I know football clubs now work very very hard with uh, the psychology of a player or an athlete and all the ups and downs and they work really hard with them. I, I, ha I got that at Marseille. I actually, uh, but the biggest thing that changed for me, Nick, if, I, if I'm brutally honest, I got myself, when I, by the time I got to Marseille, I got myself in the best shape I ever was at 31. Right. I was 13 stone six, which was about six pound lighter than I ever played for Millwall. And I was flying and people couldn't believe how fit I was. And people come visit me, they thought I was ill. They look at me and think, look at you. You know, and, 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 and I, I did, I, I didn't have an ounce on me that I carried. And um, yeah, so the, the psyche of a sportsman and, and boys, it's not just sportsmen, it's people in any walk of life that doubts creep in, seeds of doubt that can, can make you feel fragile, can, can make you feel vulnerable. Um, it's just, it's human. It's just a human reaction to... You know, not everyone's built with a... I mean, Teddy would say to me, funny enough, Teddy would say that, you know, I'm nowhere near as confident as you believe. You'd like you think, I don't suffer from nerves. I don't get, you know, feel, feel funny. He, he openly said he did to me, but, but he had a way that... I mean, Teddy was... managing it. Yeah, yeah, he could manage it probably way better than most. I mean, touching on that, Tony, I was just looking at the 87-88 the, the season, when our form was pretty indifferent. It was so so up until about Christmas time. And then it seems like the team, the group, whatever you want to call it, the collective, there was I mean, found form. I mean, I, I guess what goes with the individual goes with the group as well. Because from about February onwards, I think we were unbeaten until the very, very last game of the season versus Blackburn, which we, we might touch on. We've had a few questions from people asking about that game. Um, but, um, you know, we, we, we went on an amazing run to to win promotion, win the championship. And it's like a, it's almost like a group think you know that the, the team clicked suddenly suddenly form and goal started to flow yeah we had some big victories away from home i can remember that season we had a big victory at stoke away i got a brace i mean we won at leeds away yeah um, we won obviously won at Hull a bit later in the season i i for me it was quite easy for answering on my behalf because the dot worked really hard on my fitness and got me in the best shape I could. So I was playing much better by, you know, my first few games, I was indifferent. I still wasn't up to speed. Um, but I, I think because we trained hard and when you go on that run and we, you know, like I just said, we, we, we won at some clubs that have been a lot higher than, you know, where they are today. You know, yeah, yeah. Leeds you know, or 2-1 win. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, that we... We were a side that, I mean, we battered Newcastle as well uh, uh, over that period. That was probably the season after, but we had something about us that we could take on the, uh, some good sides at that time. I mean, the actual, I mean, the, the, the final uh, games, I mean, I, I was at, at Coldblow Lane for the win over Stoke, which was, for me, and I don't know how it would be from your playing perspective, but for me, that win over Stoke 2-0 was probably the first time I started to believe that we could really do this because although we were in contention, even as late as as April, um, it still didn't feel quite real at times. But that win, we beat Stoke 2-0 to tee up the, the game at Hull City the week after, suddenly felt real. And, and I, I can still feel the tingle as I'm talking about it now because it was, you know, this dream was yeah. coming together. Yeah, it was. And I don't know, when you look back sometimes, Nick, and you feel like, what, what was a defining moment? And that the answer to that is quite simple, is that there are lots and lots of moments and there's lots of games where you just did enough or something happened that, you know, just just singling out one moment is really tough. But yeah. I, 
I remember Stoke away and winning there. And that that felt big. And Leeds away felt really big that season. Big results, winning, yeah. yeah. You know, really good results that year. And and obviously, by the time we got to Hull City, I mean, it was like a home game. Going to our final game, uh, that we well, the game that got us up, yeah. um, Hull City, that, that just felt like a home game. Literally, Millwall fans invaded Hull. Um, so, you know, <laughs> it, it was... It, it was a great, I'm glad we didn't have a great lead. I'm glad we had to show a lot of courage and spirit to that season to keep it going because it's really, really, it's, it's a big ask, you know, going over a course, uh, you know, that marathon of a season. Yeah, yeah. And I think we just got better, not by a lot, but we just got better as we went. I mean, it was a huge. Uh, the biggest achievement in the club's history. You 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 know Millwall yourself. Your family knows it. So you, the magnitude of what was achieved that day. Um, how did it? How was it for the from the play? I mean, the celebrations must have been something else after whole. Or were you too shattered to celebrate that night after that win up there at uh, no, Booth Ferry? We <laughs> no, we no, we definitely celebrated. You got that in. <laughs> um, you know, we had a, we had a few couple, or we had two or three players who put on a bit of timber quite easily. I was one of them. Uh, Terry was another. All he could put twice as much as me and Terry on in in one night. Um, yeah, you know, we we just we we just enjoyed it, and the boys would always come back to South London. Yeah. So a few would end up down the old Kent Road, Connoisseur, or wherever, you know. Yeah. Just, we always ended up back in South London, with, and, the, you know, then days that Duncow was around. And yeah. So we always come back, and sometimes we split up and then went off one way, and then we'd meet up a bit later. Um, yeah, it was, it was just great. I mean, look, when you've been brought up in this area where we all come from, and, you know, we all know what Millwall is as a football club and, and never been successful, as in being at the very top flight, I've always said about Millwall, I said it's quite incredible really that, you know, Cholton get probably, you know, twice as many fans on a regular basis go to games. But if you really live in South London, I always feel there's twice as many Millwall fans. There's a lot of us about, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah there, there is. But it just is weird that they just come out in huge numbers when there's something to be cheered on. And, and a, a lot of my friends who I see today hadn't seen Millwall for years were coming at that time. And still you call know, themselves Millwall supporters. It's, it's a very yeah, odd thing, isn't it? Well, a very odd thing. You know, but it's 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 a it's a it's a very um, it's an identity thing, Tone. It's an identity thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. In my opinion, yeah. I, I mean, how did the I mean promotion was won, and we had that um, wonderful afternoon where the, the trophy was presented at the Coldblow Lane. But going into the summertime and, and looking at Division One, which must have seemed a very long way um, from where you started out all those years ago at Gillingham and, and, and before. How did the team feel they would match up in the top flight? How did they... Was, was there a sense of confidence? Was there a sense of um, wondering how it might, might pan out to get into in, in with the big boys? It was all about proving we were worthy of being there. Yeah. You, know, you know, like I said to you earlier, that, you know, when you put a team together and you're trying to drive it and you're always having to prove a point, well, OK, you were champions coming up from the championship. Uh, can you now handle it in Division One? Yeah. So that's your next challenge. So ours was: Are we Division One players, top-flight players? So we we went in with a real attitude of hunger, desire. Um, you know, I'm 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 good friends with Chrissy Wilder at Sheffield United, and I've watched them do what they've done this year, and it's all based on just pure 
these and and quality because their two midfielders are a bit like Les Briley and Terry Earlock. Yeah, you know, you look at Lundstrom and you know you look at Fleck. There's a bit about them, and and they're also been players who've been around the block, lower down. Um, and and I think that that in itself takes you a long way. If you can run a bit more than your opposition, you're prepared to give a bit more sweat, sweat and blood then you can go somewhere. And if you lose that, you'll get relegated like we did in the second season. Because if you lose a bit of it, you'll go down. Yeah, and we sure. had it in abundance the first season. Um, Villa away first game. Was, I remember it like yesterday. You scored twice there, mate, didn't you? Well, I got scored twice. Went to a nightclub, Deja Vu in Swanley the night after the game, then got thrown <laughs> out <of> there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a funny night that was. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful stuff. I mean, those, those early games. I remember talking about you scoring. I was at then for the um, the win over Derby, um, yes. and then then Everton, which for me, and I don't know how it'd be from the, the your side, but from me standing on the halfway line, that was the first time we beat Everton two one at home. Peter Reid was playing for Everton. That's a decent team. They've not long been champions in, in their own right, and that was the first big club we'd faced really because Derby didn't seem quite. They could have been no. a Division Two side with us not so long ago, but Everton was the first big den occasion, and we won it. And it was it was absolutely exhilarating. It must have been a huge adrenaline rush on the pitch for you, Tom. Yeah, them them early games at the, the old den were something very special. Um, having a huge crowd there, yeah, you know, and you know a passionate crowd wanted to drive, you know, drive the team and. I, there's two ways of looking at this. Sometimes you have teams that the crowd have to drive them and, and likewise, sometimes the team has to drive the crowd. We were driven by both. Us as a team were driving them and they were driving us. And I think we got caught up on it. I mean, to be fair, we're all on the, we're all on bonuses if we won games of you know that were, were more than our wages. So <laughs> that helped, didn't it? <laughs> if, if you always want to get a bit more of a spring in a step, play players a bit more money and they'll they'll run a bit harder. But yeah, it was all it was all it was just incredible. And that first season was I mean our performance at the uh, at Highbury against Arsenal when Briley sticks it in the top corner and gets yeah. disallowed. Yeah. You know, just it was just a joy that first season because we went to Liverpool, Paul Stevenson scored at Anfield. Top of the league, Tone, top of the league. Yeah, top of the league. QBR home, I think. Did I get three against QBR? You got you got one, mate. You got Hurlock got two that day. You got I won't argue with it. I thought I got three against someone at home. Is that what game was I'll, that? I'll have to I'll have to check that. Leeds United, that old Leeds United, that might have been in the championship that year, the year we went up. I think I got a hat trick in that game. Maybe I, I got one against. I got a hat trick in all once. So anyway. I mean, the club um, was the club was flying. I mean, we were. It sounds sounds strange to, uh, when you say this back the, all these years later, thirty odd years. But we were actually uh, league title contenders going into into March. February, and March. February, March. It's yeah, incredible. March. You know, yeah, it's, we, the, you know when you sometimes see. I'm trying to think of the team that did it the year before, uh, just just recently. The team well, Leicester, Leicester had a, yeah. You know, you, the season before, you have a great season, but you have a bad end to the season. Uh, and it was Huddersfield. That's what I was thinking of recently. Oh, OK. Yep, Huddersfield yep. started really well when they first come to the Premier League. Did OK, but their, their end part of the, their first season was dreadful. And the, ultimately, the next season, they were pretty much dreadful all season. Now, we weren't as bad as that, but we weren't the same. Things had just slightly changed. We weren't quite as hungry. Um, Doc got a bit, a bit more upset with a few more players that just weren't pulling their weight. 
And it was a bit of a weird second season. And then obviously the doc went, yeah. which was a huge blow because the doc was like our dad in many ways. You well, know, I was going to ask you about your relationship with John. You know, I mean, that, it, it's interesting to hear that because that, that's how it came across as a fan yeah. looking on. No, yeah, we, he, could, he, could, he could be very sarcastic, Doc, as putting you down. Um, he could always do something, but he also let you know that he thought the world of you as well. So he's very <laughs> good at that. I, I, played, I played against Spain for Republic of Ireland and we beat Spain 1-0 and Doc come over with Frank McClintock, his assistant, come to the game to watch it. And we won 1-0 and we, we literally full-on steamed into Spain. And they right. couldn't handle us. Right? And we beat them 1-0. Uh, and it was a real fighting performance from us. So that was on the Wednesday. And I got back to Millwall training ground in Dartford um, Friday because we had, I flew back Thursday, didn't go in training, went, in, uh, went into the training ground on the Friday. And he, and he had a meeting with all the players Friday morning. And he was looking at me and he went, he, he went to me, you okay? He went, I went, yeah. And he had this shirt behind his hand and I didn't know and he's literally got it out in front of him a green shirt threw it at me and went fucking play like that tomorrow <laughs> you know <laughs> and, and it was like because I'd had a couple of in different games it, it was his way of saying you put a shift in like you did like, like on Wednesday right yeah, you do that yeah. for me tomorrow but I, I, I got on really well with Doc because for me he was my game changer of getting me into condition that I hadn't been in uh, yeah. And trying to get the most out of me, and he had a way about him, Doc. That he, like I said, he could, he, you could fall out. He, he was never afraid to say something to you. If he thought you weren't at it, he'd let you know. He does sound like a father figure. I mean, that's, that's I'm sure that's every listener's father figure in their own lives, in many respects. You know, kind of like a stern, a stern judge, and yet somebody cares about you. Yeah, he did. He did care, and he cared about his team as well. He was, you know, it hurt him deeply that. He left Millwall. He, he really did hurt him. And I know that. And and we were just, it was just fell apart. As soon as the doc went, it fell apart. Bob Pearson yeah. felt yeah. sorry for him. Bob had to come in and try and steer a ship that, you know, players were going to leave. Um, we were going to go down. Yeah. He just felt that it was inevitable that things were just going to spiral out of control. And speaking of managers in your career, um, I, I've been sort of dying to ask someone from who played in this era for the Republic of Ireland this question. Firstly, was Doc a better manager and better man manager than Jack Charlton? Secondly, were his <laughs> pre-match <laughs> methods a bit different? And I want to take you back specifically to uh, the 11th of June, 1995. Lansdowne Road, Dublin. Uh, you played in the European Championships uh, qualifiers. Uh, you came off the bench for Niall Quinn, but the day before, according to Roy Keane's book, you had all taken on the Harry Ramsden's challenge. Am yeah, I right? Uh, Aaron, Aaron, that was one of the mild events, the Harry Ramsden's <laughs> challenge. Yes, it's true. We went to a fish and chip shop, which is Harry Ramsden's in Dublin. Um, and we were on a coach journey, coming back from the training ground, and Jack had somehow got some investment with Harry Ramsden and they asked us to appear. So we went out of fish and chips and it was a Harry Ramsden challenge where everyone ordered the biggest fish and chips or sausage, whatever they wanted in that. <laughs> yes. Um, that Jack was very much off the wall, Aaron. If you, I tell you one quick story. If you was to sit at a dinner table with Jack and you ordered a, a lemonade or a Coke, a fizzy drink, he'd have a go at you. He'd say, rather you have an effing <laughs> beer. You can have a beer instead of that. Like a man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, which Jack Jack was very laid back. He would 
There were things that, little really silly things that would get to Jack, but you could sneak out, go and have a drink. He always would say, for international football, my players turn up fit. So they're not going to get unfit in two days. So he would let, I mean, Sundays was a joke. We used to get to Dublin and we'd, we'd get to the, the airport. We'd all meet at the hotel and we're like, where are we going? We're going to Malahide, which is about 20 minutes outside towards the coast in, in Dublin. And we'd go there like Gibmees. It was a place called Gibmees, like mid-afternoon. We'd go from there, stay in the bars, go all around the bars, uh, bars in Malahide, end up in Tamangos in Malahide till three, four in the morning. <laughs> it was always meant to be training Monday morning, two days before the international, and cancelled every Monday morning the training was cancelled till four o'clock in the afternoon because the lads couldn't get up. <laughs> 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 but Jack never, ever came away from that. He would, he always, he, uh, somehow it worked. It, you know, he just, the players never shirked what they had to do on the pitch. You're asking me, are they better managers? That They were very much in the same mould. I mean, I wasn't there. We went out with Doc. We had a New Year's Eve with Doc one year. And Doc had let everyone stay up after 12 and have a few beers. We ended up winning the next day. And it was like New Year's Day. And it was a 12 o'clock kickoff. We ended up winning. I think it was a Brighton or something like that. <laughs> you know, and, but he, 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 he had that same sort of idea of being, cheating players like men. Yeah. You cross that line there would be a consequence. I mean, what, I mean, if I told you what happened in 1990 with England and what they weren't allowed to do and what we were doing, England were in the hotels. And of course, we know England players. So we might be on the phone or speak to a player, you know, I played with that club or whoever. And there we are, they're stuck in an hotel and they can't go out. And what they're saying, what are you doing? Oh, we're, going to, uh, we're going out for a pint in Sicily. <laughs> what, you found a bar? Yeah, we found an Irish bar in Sicily, yeah. yeah we're all going out. Jack said we can have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> But, that, but that, that was the era, Tony, that like the physios used to carry like a bottle of brandy in their bag, didn't they? I mean, it was yeah. just like, you know, the physio's room was a bar. Yeah, it was. <laughs> you're right, Aaron. I mean, I know players that used to... It's, look, the game is so different because I try and explain it to people why you can't do it today. And it's so easy to say, oh, well, we could do it then, they can't, they can't now. But because of the physical condition of the modern-day player, just look at fullbacks. How could you be a fullback in the modern game and run up and down like they do without with, with going out? They just couldn't. I mean, I'm watching fullbacks, like all of them, incredible athletes, and they just charge up and down them lines all, you know, whether it's, you know, look at Robertson and, and Trent at Liverpool. It's just relentless, up, back, up, back. And, you know, you just can't do that if you're living a lifestyle that isn't really conducive to playing your best football as an athlete. So I, I, got, I, I get that. We could do it at that time because everyone else was doing it, Aaron, if you get what I mean. You know, mm. everyone else was doing it. Every club was doing it. Every club was having tea and biscuits before training. You know, all drinking tea and having loads of biscuits, going out and training, training was quite easy. You know, it was, it was very much everyone was doing it. So Much less scrutiny then, Tony, as well, wasn't there? I mean, you, you, you know, we live in the social media age now, which is, has its strengths, but it's also a a curse on the game sometimes because the, the, the you know, the, the things you've described would be all over social media in, in a flash if it happened now. It's, it's a yeah, bit of uh, Nick, I have to remind myself of that when I'm talking on, you know, TalkSport and I'm chatting about players and something they may do, do wrong. And I have to remind myself and think, say, hold it a minute. Half of us might have been arrested for what we got up to. You know, <laughs> we'd be in serious trouble. So I have to remind myself that 
give the player the benefit of the doubt, of the age of the player, and when yeah, they do something yeah, wrong. I agree. Just say, yeah. you know, uh, you know, who's not done something wrong in life? You know, Absolutely. Really? Young men, you know? young men do do silly yeah. things sometimes, don't they? Yeah. You know, daft things. Yeah, daft things. Well, that brings us to the end of part one of this fantastic interview with Tony Cascarino, Lions legend, Republic of Ireland international. For the second half of this wonderful interview, please do switch over now to Achtung Millwall, number 247 at Acast, Spotify or Apple. Thank you for listening, dear listeners. Achtung Millwall and the Real Millwall Fan Show are the number one Millwall podcast and we want to hear from you. So get in touch with us. Let us know your thoughts, your views, your rants about all things Millwall. We've got email, achtungmillwall at gmail.com or one word, achtungmillwall at gmail.com You can get in touch with us and leave us a voicemail on 0208 144 0232 That's 0208 144 0232 leave us a voicemail no human will be involved in the receipt of your message so give us a shout tell us what you think about all things Millwall and the best messages will be read out on air Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey. It's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.